Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, special guest Dr. Mark Rutland preaches a message titled, Of Kings and Prophets. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Praise His holy name. It's a joy always to be back here. I love this church. I love the spirit in the church, and I'm honored to be here. I, uh, I have premiered a couple of books here in the past, and yet again, this is a book premiere. Your pastor is always gracious to invite me to bring the new books. When, when, you come out with a new, when one comes out with a new book, the publisher wants you to go and do a book tour and promote the book and make the book available, and they always wanted it at great churches. So I had one last week to premiere. Last week, we barely made the books there. Uh, everybody blames everything on COVID. You know, the, the, printer, the printer, you know, we can't get the books printed because evidently ink causes COVID. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, they got the books there the night before the premiere. So, I mean, the, the ink was still wet on the books. So this is actually the second place in the whole world where the books have been available. They are here today. And that book is of Kings and Prophets. I'm going to be speaking on this subject this morning. I'm obviously not going to read to you from the book. Nothing would be more tedious than that. But I'm going to preach this morning on the relationship between prophets and kings. That's what this book is about. Uh, there may be prophets that you think you know and you don't know. Uh, do you know about the warrior prophet that took a sword and hacked a king in pieces? A lot of people don't even know that's in the Bible. Do you know about the prophet that lifted the protection against a group of boys who teased him because he was bald. I love this story. They teased him because he was bald and bears came out of the woods and ate them all. I said, yes. You want to watch what you say to a preacher. That's what I'm talking about. All of those stories and others are in this book. It's called Of Kings and Prophets. And I hope that you will get it. Uh, we also have uh, the last book, which I did bring here. Many of you already have it. This is David the Great, The Life and Leadership of King David. I think of them in my mind as uh, being two parts. They're, they're not precisely, but uh, the, the style is the same. And both of these books, I, I wrote one in between them. But I hope you would get at least of Kings and Prophets this morning, and maybe you'd like to get both of them. The people at the book table will help you and tell you how many books you can get for how much. They'll give you all kinds of deals out there, I'm sure. Um, this, this is probably not important to you to hear it. It's important to me to say it. I do not take one penny for any book that has... Uh, this is my 20th book, by the way. And I don't take one penny, never have taken one penny from any book I've ever written. All the sales and in any speaking engagement, online, um, Amazon, everything, all the royalties from the publisher, everything, none of it passes through my fingers. It all goes 100% to the missions program at Global Servants to support our girls' homes. So it supports the girls' homes in Southeast Asia and Thailand and in West Africa. And so I hope you'll go out there to the book table and spend yourself into bankruptcy. <laughs> Refinance your house, sir. <laughs> Steal the children's lunch money. Come on. <laughs> you're a jolly crew this morning. Glad to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. 
I want to uh, read two passages of scripture as we begin. If you'll turn if you buy, in your Bible, if you will, to Hebrews chapter one, and then we'll turn to the book of Revelation uh, for 19. You know, communication is an interesting thing. The verses we're gonna read is about God's attempt to communicate with us. God who in various times and diverse manners hath in the past communicated with us through his prophets. That's what this book is about. Communication's difficult. You can, you can think you're transmitting clearly and the message that you send may not be at all what is being received. And the response it elicits may not be at all what you hoped for. Every married man in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. You can be saying what you think is a very positive message. And while you're talking, you can tell by the look on her face that the ice is cracking under your feet. <laughs> it can happen at every level. I've got a really good friend, uh, another old dude like me. And many, many years ago, when we were both in college, he played basketball at ABAC. I wonder if anybody here knows what Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College is in South Georgia. And that's where he played basketball. So they had... Uh, team members from everywhere. He was from South Georgia and played at this little school, but they had a player there from the Bronx and the coach was a Christian and he decided to take the basketball team to his little Pentecostal hole in his church where they were having a revival. But this kid from the Bronx had never been in a church. So they went to the church and the preacher saw these basketball players and thought this is a perfect target. And he lowered the guns to deck level and loaded with grape shot. But he wasn't getting the response from these basketball players that he thought he ought to get. So he jumped off of the platform and ran out there. The kid from the Bronx was right on the end of the pew. And he looks him in the face and he says, what about you, son? Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? He said, no, sir, I'm a guard. How to, how to stop a revival in one word. So sometimes you can think you're communicating so clearly, but the book of Hebrews begins with this. God was communicating through the prophets. And then in the book of Revelation, it deals with what the essence of that communication is. Hebrews chapter one, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now turn, if you will, to the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, verses nine and 10. And he saith unto me, he, please notice if you're reading from a King James Bible, it's not capitalized. So that means it's not God, it's not the Lord, it's not Jesus, it's an angel a mighty and powerful angel, but an angel. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet. The true sayings of God, do you understand? This is the, the correct communication of God. These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now look at this last part. 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray together. Vamos a orar. Padre bendito celestial, tenemos gracias por tu presencia con nosotros en esta mañana. Porque te necesitamos mucho. Necesitamos un palabra de esperanza. Ayúdame, por favor. Lléname con tu Espíritu Santo y úsame a su gloria si es posible. Y por favor, glorifica tu nombre en este mensaje. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We laud and magnify your holy name. With the saints and with the company above, we worship you. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Now, Lord, I pray that you will brush aside every barrier to divine communication and rush in over the threshold of our souls that when we leave here today, we will say, surely the Lord has spoken unto us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. There is a phrase which is being bandied about everywhere, and it has become so appropriated by the world and used to mean so many different things that it's come to mean almost nothing. And that phrase is speaking truth to power. So some uh, high school kid stands up in class and curses his English teacher and he tells everybody else, I was just speaking truth to power. When all it was was rebellion and disobedience. A nitwit movie star stands up at the Academy Awards and spouts some cockamamie political speech, knowing that everybody in the room already agrees with her. And she prides herself, they give her a standing ovation, and she says, I was just speaking truth to power, when all she was doing was currying favor with the Hollywood community that she knows already agrees with her. Furthermore, they talk about speaking truth, then they'll say, I'm speaking my truth. It's my truth as though somehow or another, truth were personalized and individualized. It's either truth or it's not truth, it's not your truth. The prophets, the prophets spoke truth to power. Now in the book, I don't deal with all the prophets. I take prophets that had conflict with kings because that's about speaking truth to power. So I dealt only with prophets that spoke and they took huge risks. The prophets that spoke to kings, that confronted kings. Take for example, you want to talk about speaking truth to power. How about John Baptist? John the Baptist um, confronted the king Herod about his Uh, live-in relationship with his own sister-in-law. He took his brother Philip's wife, her name was Herodias, and moved her into the palace. So he's quote-unquote married to his own sister, to his own sister-in-law. And John the Baptist denounced him publicly, preached in the streets. You are not allowed to do this. This is against the law. Wow. Herod arrested him and threw him in prison. There's a consequence to speaking truth to power. While he's in prison, the wife, quote unquote, wife Herodias, so hates John the Baptist over, she wants to get him killed. Prison is not enough for her. So she gets her teenage daughter 
to come to a party where the king is and dance this erotic dance, this salacious sexual dance. And it inflames her stepfather, Herodias' husband, who is also her brother-in-law, inflames him with lust until he offers her anything she wants. Isn't this a pretty picture? And so she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a plate. A teenage girl who has danced a dance that inflames her stepfather's lust until she gets the head of a head of a prophet. So Herod sends people down to the jail. They cut his head off and bring it on a plate and hand it to the teenage girl who brings it and hands it to her mother. You want to talk about the risk of speaking truth to power. The kings of the earth do not all necessarily want to hear the truth of God. Someone, someone said, and I disagree with it heartily, but one preacher said, John underestimated the anger of a woman denounced publicly. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't think he underestimated it. I think he knew exactly what he was facing. And I think inspired by the Holy Ghost, anointed by God and full of courage and faith, he spoke truth to power. Now the issue arises, what, what does prophecy mean in our day and age? So first of all, let's deal with it at a, at a ground level. I don't have to tell this part in a, in a traditional church, but in, but in a spirit-filled church like this, there, it needs to be a word of caution stated. Not everybody that says, thus saith the Lord, is hearing from God. Have you ever been in a worship service where somebody stands up to give a a quote unquote, a word of prophecy and everybody in the room can tell from the opening paragraph that he's got one wheel in the ditch. (laughs) Everybody knows it. And we're all sitting there thinking this guy is nuts. And what do we do? We sit there saying, praise God, praise God. It's because we will not speak truth. That's the reason that the gifts of the Spirit have to be exercised in community. We have to test the spirits. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if God would help. And somebody stands up and starts something like that, wouldn't it be nice if a voice came from heaven? I didn't send this guy. (laughs) He's not speaking for me, he's on his own. But God's not going to do that. That's the reason that in community, we have to test the spirits. We have to discern whether it's the voice of prophecy. And authority has to speak truth in that moment. There has to be that moment where you say, Bob, have a seat. This doesn't invalidate your place in the universe, but we won't receive that this morning. God's not near as mad at us as you are. Have a seat. So first of all, we have to deal with it, what it means here. Not everybody that says, thus saith the Lord has heard from God. And we need to be careful about saying that. We can't turn prophecy into charismatic parlor games. You have to know, you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can state your opinion. You can give somebody counsel. You can give wise advice. You can quote Bible. But when you add, thus saith the Lord, you better have the goods. Now take, take it up from the grassroots level and, and that, then we have to deal with the issue of people dealing with national and international events. So 
in the, in the Bible, there is this story of this guy. You probably don't even remember the name. His name is Zedekiah. He's a false prophet. So Ahab, the king, and we'll deal with him more in just a moment. Ahab has all these false prophets and they just say to him anything that he wants to hear. They endorse his political agenda and military agenda. And he, he, they, he counts on them to say what he wants to hear. So Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah and Ahab, this wicked king of Israel, get together to go on a military campaign. And Jehoshaphat, the good king of Judah says, isn't there a prophet that we can, he says, oh, I got hundreds of them. So they bring these prophets in, led by this false prophet named Zedekiah. And he says to him, oh, you're gonna win. I prophesy you'll win. Go out onto the battlefield, you'll win. And this false prophet, in order to somehow or another dramatize his prophecy, I suppose, he takes iron and makes horns like a longhorn cow and he puts them to his head and he says, you'll go out and you'll gore the enemy like this. And Jehoshaphat has a discernment. He says, I don't trust these guys. Isn't there any other prophet in your kingdom? And Ahab says, yes, there is a guy. His name is Micaiah. I hate this guy. He never, ever prophesies good for me. And Jehoshaphat says, well, let's just hear what he has to say. So they bring Micaiah in and say, all of these guys say we're going to win. What do you say? Oh, he says, absolutely. You will win. Go right on to the battlefield. <laughs> They're all right. How could, how could all these hundreds of prophets be wrong? You go right ahead into battle. And Ahab says, you're mocking us. You're just mocking. Tell me the truth. And Micaiah says, you want the truth? Here's truth to power. You're going to be killed on the battlefield. You're going to lose. Your army's going to lose and you're going to be killed. And Ahab says, see, I told you this guy never says what I want to hear. So now it's fine to offer a political prognostication. You can say, I think this is going to happen. I think this will win. I think this thing will happen. It's fine to make your best guess. It's fine to say, this is what I believe. But when you say, thus saith the Lord, then if that doesn't happen, it's a false prophecy. That's all there is to it. There's no way to get around that. And those people who make false prophecies have to repent of that. I'm not saying that their place in the kingdom of God is gone forever. I'm just saying we in the body of Christ have to hold people accountable for making false prophecies. It's fine to say this is what I want to happen. But you can't say thus saith the Lord. Now I want to I want to talk about prophetic voices. Not not prophets per se. But listen to this story. In May on May the 26th 1785, General George Washington is at his home in Mount Vernon. He's just about to be elected the first president of the United States. But this is between the end of the Revolutionary War and the, and the beginning of the new republic, the United States of America. George Washington will be the first president. He's at his home at Mount Vernon. He writes in his diary, I entertained two men at dinner last night a certain doctor named Thomas Koch and a preacher named Francis Asbury. They had dinner and afterward they left. That's all General Washington records. 
But Francis Asbury, who was the head of the Methodist Church in the United States, and Thomas Koch, who was a Welsh physician that John Wesley had sent to America to help Asbury. Those of you who grew up in the Methodist Church, you'll remember the little brown Cokesbury hymnals. They're named Cokesbury because it takes these two men's names and cobbles them together, Thomas Koch and Francis Asbury, the Cokesbury hymnal. Francis Asbury writes in his diary something a little more a little broader than what George Washington wrote. He says, last night, Dr. Koch and I went to Mount Vernon and had dinner with General Washington. And we pleaded with him to sign a petition denouncing slavery. And he declined. Now we'll never know, will we? We'll never know. But what if? What if General Washington had received those two men and heard that appeal? That was, I'm not, I'm not saying Francis Asbury was a prophet like Isaiah was a prophet or Jeremiah, but that's a prophetic statement. What, what, if, what if General Washington had received it? What if he had signed that petition? What if he had freed his own slaves, 315 of them? And I'm not here to denounce the founding fathers of the Republic. Don't get off on that. They were great men, I honor them everyone, but they were not perfect men and they were imperfect on this subject. What if he had said, I'll free my slaves? What if he had said, I'll sign the petition? What if he had called another great man who was imperfect on the subject, Thomas Jefferson? What if he had convinced Jefferson to free his slaves and sign the petition? What if they had, we'll never know, but what if they had? Maybe less than a hundred years later, this nation wouldn't have been ripped in half with the Civil War. Maybe hundreds of thousands of American boys wouldn't have died in a contest to end the evil of slavery. We'll never know. But what if Washington had heard that and said, that's the voice of God. Sometimes speaking truth to power implies something at a very profound level. Now I want to deal with three, quickly, with three prophets and the kings to whom they spoke. So each of these confronted a king over a different issue and they speak to us. Remember what we said, Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, Revelation says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in all of these prophetic encounters, God is not only speaking to those kings, but he is speaking through the generations and centuries to us. So what is the first one? The first is one with which you are probably more familiar. And that is Moses, the prophet Moses, encounter with Pharaoh. Now, what is that about? With the story about George Washington fresh in our minds, we think the story is about slavery, but actually it's not. When you think about the statement of Moses to Pharaoh, almost all of you know it. What did Moses say to Pharaoh? Come on, say it with me. Let, come on. Let say it one more time. The operative word in that prophetic statement is my people. Let my people go. He is not really trying to get Pharaoh to repent of his sins. He's not really trying to get Egypt to declare slavery illegal. He's dealing with the ownership of the Hebrew people. He says, these are my people. For all we know, Egypt had many other slaves. 
What God is saying is the Hebrew people are my people. It was about ownership. Pharaoh said the Hebrew people are my people. I own their bodies. I own their lives. I own their destiny. They live where I tell them to live. They work at what I tell them to work at and they live or die at my command. Now listen to this. This is the issue that speaks to the contemporary plague on this country of abortion. Abortion is a sin of murder. Yes, it is. But it's the sin of murder that springs from a much more fundamental sin. And that is who owns you? Who owns you? When a woman says, this is my body and I have the right to kill that which lives within it. She is actually depriving God's ownership of two human beings. She is saying, I own me and I own this baby. It is actually the voice of Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, these Hebrew babies are my babies. And he told the Egyptian midwives to commit infanticide. So when the babies were born, he wasn't telling them to commit abortion. Let the male Hebrew babies be born and then strangle them. I want to say something to you. We are on the verge in this country of moving beyond abortion and legalize infanticide. That the mother says, this is mine. So the sin is not just murder. The first sin is who owns you? Who owns your children? Who owns the fruit of your body? God says it's not simply about abortion. It is about ownership. Who owns you? When you clutch your life to your own chest, and say, mine, 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 whatever wicked outcome comes of that, where you live, with whom you sleep, whatever you do with your body is actually a sinful outgrowth of a primary sin, which is self-ownership. So the real deal between Moses and Pharaoh was not about, really about slavery. It was about ownership. The second is the conflict between Nathan and David. So let me just, I know you know the story of Bathsheba. There are people that know the story of David and Bathsheba. They don't even know what's in the Bible. They think it's Shakespeare. (laughs) But David was the king of the United Kingdom. This is before the split between Israel and Judah. So he's the king of all of Israel, all 12 tribes, everything. And he is in Jerusalem when the army is in the field fighting. And you'll remember he sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop in the moonlight and he brings her to the palace and seduces her. It is the classic story of a man of celebrity and power and wealth who seduces a vulnerable woman. Many people somehow or another want to place blame on Bathsheba. She was weak. She gave in, but the blame is on David and David brings her. And in that night she is impregnated. So David, in an effort to palm his baby off on the father, on the husband, brings him home from the battlefield, thinking he'll go and spend the night with his wife, but he doesn't. Uriah the Hittite, the husband, he doesn't. So David can't make the nine months arithmetic work. Uriah goes back to the battlefield. And so David sends an email to Joab, the general. And he says, get this guy in a place and the battlefield where he'll be killed and then send me word that he's dead. And he does. And so David quickly marries Bathsheba so that he can quickly 
get connected personally with the pregnancy and the whole country blinks. Nobody wants to hold the king accountable. Nobody wants to speak truth to power. Nobody wants to deal with this. So everybody blinks. The court blinks. Everybody blinks. Okay, okay, your eyes dead. David marries, it's his baby. And it was, you know, premature. Everybody blinks. Everything seems to be fine until this little prophet Nathan shows up in the open court. He doesn't meet David privately. This in front of everybody. He stands and points his finger into the face of the king and he says, God has revealed to me what you've done. I know everything you've done. You brought that woman to the palace. You seduced her. You slept with her. You made her pregnant. You tried to palm it off on her husband. And when that wouldn't work, you had him killed. Seduction, sexual immorality, conspiracy and murder. And you did it. You're the man. You want to talk about speaking truth to power? That's truth to power. And David, David could have had him killed, easily had him killed. Remember, this is not a republic. There's no laws. There's no Supreme Court. There's none of that. This, he's an emperor. David's word is law. All he has to do is turn to Joab. Joab was his kinsman and Joab was his, really his hitman. He was a, he was a very dangerous hombre. I always used to say to the kids at the universities, if David was Wyatt Earp, then Joab was Doc Holliday. This guy will bust a cap in you for a quarter. He was a dangerous guy. And all David would have had to do was say, kill him. He would have taken that prophet's head off. Instead, David says, you're right. I did it all. I did it all, I confess. So the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh is about ownership. The confrontation between David and Nathan is about repentance. He calls him to repentance. He calls Pharaoh to accept the ownership of God over the people of God. He calls David to accept the sin that he has committed and confess it and repent of it, which he does publicly. So the second verse of speaking truth to power may be often about speaking to sin in society, to an individual, to a church, to a pastor. Sometimes there has to be that person that says, you've sinned and I know what you've done. God has revealed it to me. You are the man. You are the woman. That's what we feel sometimes in a church service. That's, that's called the spirit of conviction. You ever hear people say, all they ever preach about at that church is money. That's all their money, money, money. That's all they ever preach about. No, no. That's just all that you hear. It's because God is dealing with you on whatever it is, anything. It always amuses preachers that we all get tickled. When people get mad at church, oh, I don't like this. It was too cold. I didn't like the music. Dr drummer's so crazy, they have to lock him up in a glass booth. I mean, like, <laughs> whatever it is, yeah, we know what it is. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything they say. God has probed them in that worship service. They are going... Look, there are five dogs up under an oak tree on a hot July afternoon and a mischievous boy throws a rock at them. They may all scatter, but the one that got hit is the one that yelps the loudest. 
Ladies, when you get out to the car and your husband says, oh, I hate that guy. I hated that sermon. I don't like that church. Just smile. He just got hit. <laughs> so the second confrontation of truth to power is about personal conviction. The spirit of prophecy says, you are the man. The third one is between Ahab and Elijah. And again, I'll just quickly rehearse it for you. Ahab is this wicked, backslidden Jewish king who's married this Gentile woman who worships idols, Jezebel. And Elijah comes to Ahab and says, assemble all the people at Mount Carmel and we'll see who is king of this country. We'll see who the real Lord is. So the, Ahab comes, he brings all of the 850 false prophets and, and priests of, the, of Baal and Astarte and these false idols, Baal particularly. And Elijah says this, here's how we'll duke it out. Build two altars. I'll take one, you take one. Slaughter two bullocks, put the meat on both altars, but nobody sets any fire to it. And then let's pray. And whichever God answers by fire, let him be God. Now, I wasn't there, regardless of what the young people here think. <laughs> but I believe that the minute Elijah said that, the false prophets said, this, this is going to end badly. <laughs> but they tried. They set the bullock on the altar. They did everything. They, all the religious stuff, they jumped and danced. It says they jumped up on the altar. Finally, they took lancets and cut themselves so that their blood gushed out on the sacrifice. Now listen to this, young people particularly. The true God offers his blood for your redemption. A false God demands your blood. And nothing happens. Of course, Baal doesn't send fire. So Elijah, I love this little guy. This guy, he just gives me a charge. He starts mocking them. Terribly. He says, oh, we know Baal's a real God. We know he's, he's just probably falling asleep. Let's wake him up. Baal, Baal, your people are praying over here. And then he gets, this is a low blow. In, in English, in the English Bible, it's not clear. In Hebrew, it's perfectly clear. He says, he's probably just gone to the toilet. He's, he's in the bathroom. Let's, Baal, come on out. Come on, your people are out here. And so the false prophets say, okay, okay, fine. Let's see if you can do any better. They're, they can't play to win, but they can play for a tie. So they see if you can do any better. So Elijah says, I'll pray for fire, but not yet. Get some barrels of water and soak the sacrifice. He digs a trench around it so deep that it'll hold a bushel of wheat. And they soak it with water until the sacrifice is soaked, the wood is soaked, the altar is soaked, and the water is a bushel deep in the trough. He is making a statement. This is the condition that Israel is in. You're soaked, you're saturated in sin. But God can still bring fire when that sin-soaked sacrifice is on the altar. God can still send the fire. You're, he says, your state of sin does not limit God's state of power. So then he prays. No jumping on the altar, no cutting himself. He just says, oh Lord, send the fire and pow, the fire hits the, 
the sacrifice is burned, the wood is burned, the stones are burned, the water begins to burn, the fire leaps down into the trench and burns the water up like Mexican oil, just burns the whole thing. And then Elijah says to the people, how long halt you between two opinions? If Baal is God, serve him. If God is God, serve him. I, uh, I live in the United States now, I have for a long time, but I was born in the Republic of Texas. And <laughs> that's not funny in Texas. So I can remember as a kid in East Texas going to the rodeo. I loved going to the rodeo. One night at the rodeo in Sulphur Springs, the Grand Parade is how it starts. All the cowboys, it's not rodeo clothes. They put on, it's sequins and rhinestones and fancy hats and all that kind of stuff. And they go around the ring and it was being led. The Grand Parade was being led by a cowboy standing up on the back of two white stallions, standing up, riding them. And he had a flag in each in each boot had a flag of the United States here and a Texas flag just a little bit taller was over on this side. <laughs> and he's going around the ring. Why? Nobody knows. But just as that guy on those horses got right here, a little boy in a red nylon windbreaker leaned over the edge of the rail and flapped that red jacket right in front of those horses. And they just, <laughs> east was east and west was west. And they tumbled that cowpoke base over apex for about a hundred yards. And they took that dude off in an ambulance. And I was sitting there and I said, I see the lesson. It's not safe to ride two horses at once. Make up your mind, he says. If Baal is God, serve him. If the Lord is God, serve him. And how did they answer? The Lord he is God. That's what the people said. The Lord, he is God. So look at these three as we close. Look at this. Moses says to Pharaoh, the people are mine. Nathan says to David, repent. Ownership, repentance. And Elijah says, choose. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. Ownership, repentance, lordship. That is the voice of prophecy. That's the reason that the book of Revelation says the very essence of the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of the lordship of Jesus Christ. The spirit of prophecy is not dead. Elijah has gone to heaven, but the spirit of God still speaks truth to power. Let's pray together. Will you bow your heads? all over the house if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these precious people, for this great church. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will so bless them, bless this church, prosper and defend them, that they may know that you own them, that you convict them, and that they proclaim you Lord, that from their heart of hearts, they will say as individuals and as a people, the Lord, he is God. Praise God, amen. God bless you. God bless this church. I'll meet you in the lobby. We hope you enjoyed that message from special guest, Dr. Mark Rutland. Don't forget you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash crossing church to watch all of our messages on demand and our live broadcasts. You can also download the Crossing Church app by searching for Crossing Church Tampa in your app store. 
We can't wait to worship with you next weekend and at noon prayer every Wednesday at our Tampa campus. For more information, visit wearecrossing.com.